the Bernie or bust people, you're being ridiculous. Oh my. That's what she said. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM people-powered radio in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI. In uh, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. That's just to name a few. Also, streaming. On the uh, on the old internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week, blanketing planet Earth, making your world safe for democracy. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, trying to absorb and or tolerate and or report on the uh, Democratic National Convention this week following last week's Republican National Convention. And let me just say this right off the bat. Michelle for president. I agree. You do? Oh, yes. I had no She'll idea. She'll never do it. She knows better, but... <laughs> she she was unbelievable yes. last night, frankly. A lot of crying in that uh, Wells Fargo arena in Philadelphia on Monday night, whether it was, frankly, whether it was during Michelle Obama's speech or Bernie Sanders' uh, supporters, many of them weeping at his appearance at the end of the evening. We will uh, we'll try to play some clips from some of those speeches a bit later tonight. Uh, I, I think, uh, Des, I think I noticed you, since you mentioned Michelle, I think I noticed you weeping a little bit during that speech Oh, yeah, that, uh, it really got well. to me. She, she made an amazing and, I think, uh, very well-considered speech where she talked about the story of America and, and how inspirational when you look at her life and the life of President Obama and how we all got to this place. It was just, it, it, it was perfect. And uh, she sang the praises of Hillary Clinton, as did uh, really all of the speakers yesterday. A stark contrast from last week when basically you had, you know, all of the speakers smashing up Hillary Clinton. That's to be expected, of course, at a political convention. Uh, I don't know if it's to be expected to chant, you know, lock her up and throw her in jail, but certainly going after the opposition is to be expected. And there was plenty of that in Philadelphia as well. The difference, though, and at least one of the differences, uh, you know, is that you actually had the speakers singing the praises of the nominee at the Democratic Convention in uh, in Philadelphia. Not so much over in uh, in Cleveland, unless they were uh, happened to be people related to uh, Donald Trump or in business with him, in which case it's probably still a good idea to sing his praises. 
In any event, it was Progressive's night at the Democratic National Convention at the Wells Fargo Center on Monday night. But it was a very bright night along with it, at least I thought, at least in comparison to what we saw last week at the at the RNC. There was a jam-packed house on hand for primetime speeches by uh, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, of course, Michelle Obama and, yes, Bernie Sanders. The arena crowd, to my eyes, appeared to be more jam-packed on its first night for the Democrats than it appeared to be on closing night when Donald Trump officially accepted his nomination uh, for the Republicans in Cleveland last week. That is kind of amazing when you think of it. Now, the day... As we reported on uh, yesterday's broadcast, had a very rough start with the resignation of DNC Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz on the heels of the uh, leaked DNC emails showing what we've all known, frankly, all season long, that the DNC was pulling for Hillary Clinton throughout the primary process. Uh, No real surprise there. And there was no evidence, at least that I've seen. I asked for it on yesterday's program. Haven't heard from anybody. No evidence that the party somehow stole the nomination for Hillary Clinton. Those allegations have been made all season. I've been looking into them all season long. I simply don't see the evidence. I'll continue to look because a lot of times this stuff doesn't become clear until, you know, much later after election. So I'm open to whatever uh, whatever can be found. Uh, But despite uh, some Sanders supporters uh, suggestion that uh, the DNC or Hillary Clinton stole the primary from Bernie Sanders, I just don't see it. The evidence so far does not make that case. Uh, The Wasserman Schultz resignation followed, of course, on her controversial helming of the party during a tough primary cycle uh, with the rise of Bernie Sanders and hopefully with a new generation of both voters and progressive candidates along with him. That's how this stuff starts, from the bottom up. As you heard at the top of the show, that was a longtime Sanders supporter, comedian Sarah Silverman, one of the speakers on Monday night, calling on the party to get behind the nomination of Hillary Clinton after the bruising primary, citing not only what Silverman detailed as Clinton's qualifications, For the job, but also the necessity of defeating the dangerous, incompetent, menace and pathological liar that is Donald Trump. Uh, And yes, she had some tough words for her fellow Sanders supporters unwilling to vote for Clinton. Even now, uh, now that the primary has ended. Can I just say to the Bernie or bust people, you're being ridiculous. But are they being ridiculous? And will most of those Sanders supporters eventually come around for Hillary? Will they vote green uh, for candidate Jill Stein? Or will they gasp, vote for the dangerous pathological liar Donald Trump? Or I suppose they could just stay home or they could vote for the libertarian uh, Gary Johnson. Joining us now to get a sense of where progressives and Sanders supporters and those on hand at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia where and, were and are today 
is one of the nation's finest progressive political journalists, both the magazines and the countries. Uh, John Nichols is a journalist. He's the Washington correspondent for The Nation, contributing writer for The Progressive and In These Times, and the associate editor of The Capital Times, the daily newspaper in Madison, Wisconsin. He's also the author of three books, including a best-selling biography of my best friend, Vice President Dick Cheney, and co-author of five books on American democracy, media, and journalism. John Nichols, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Brad, it's great to be with you, brother. Always good to talk to you, my friend. I know it's uh, it's busy there. It's kind of crazy there. You've got a lot of uh, uh, action going on in the background in Philadelphia at the uh, at the convention. But all right, let's jump in. Uh, early in the day on Monday with uh, DNC Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz forced to resign in light of those hacked DNC emails and, and protests about them from Sanders supporters. It looked like the Democratic convention could be a disaster. Uh, But by the end of the night, on Monday night, after all of the speeches, it seemed a very different atmosphere, at least from out here in TV land. What was your sense inside the hall, John? Well, it was, you know, look, there was tension. And anybody who denies that wasn't paying attention. Uh, By the same token, uh, there was a fascinating thing that happened, and it maybe hasn't been reported enough. Um, Early on the Democratic leadership did an incredibly smart thing. They had a rules discussion. They also had a platform discussion. And in each of those instances, they had Sanders people make major presentations. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the rules discussion, Diane Russell, a state rep from Maine, uh, talked at great length about, you know, what they had gotten in the rules. And frankly, if you go back and listen to her speech, it's really important. It may be one of the most important speeches of the night because it was a rip-roaring, rousing Bernie Sanders speech. And the crowd was going wild. They were chanting, this is what democracy looks like. And frankly, a chunk of them were feeling like they were being heard. And that's the key to this thing. I'm not telling you it's all going to be love and happiness and roses blooming all over the place. What I will tell you is this. The more that Sanders people and Sanders voices are heard and, you know, brought into the mix, brought into the discussion, the, the, the better for Clinton the convention will be. It's an odd dynamic. You don't usually think of it that way in politics, but that's the reality. And um, if, you, if that continues over the next few days, um, I'm not going to tell you that you're going to get pure unity, but yeah, you get a little bit more uh, congeniality than you might expect. There was uh, also Keith Ellison, who was a, a strong uh, Sanders supporter. Right up at the end. Yeah, yeah. he was yeah. Uh, on the platform committee. He also sang not just the praises of Sanders, but of Hillary Clinton. Um, so uh, will we will we be hearing more of those voices? Are there more Sanders supporters who are set uh, throughout the week to come out and, and make the case for Hillary Clinton in this case? Not as many, and that's somewhat understandable as the progression goes on. Then the responsibility shifts to some extent. It becomes the responsibility of Clinton folks, mm-hmm. and, and I would argue Clinton herself and Tim Kaine, uh, when they give their speeches, to do something that some folks didn't do last night, which is mention Bernie Sanders. Talk about the contribution that he's made. Talk about the role that he has played. Again, I am not saying that this has to be Bernie Sanders' fest, mm-hmm. right, where... 
you know, every speaker is just talking, you know, for hours about Bernie Sanders. That's not my point. My point is that when you have 1,900 people, 1,900 people on that floor who are backers of Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. many of whom are deeply committed to Bernie Sanders, and, and not just to him as a person, but to the ideas that he advanced. If they go for hours and they hear nothing uh, about him, if they have no references to his issues, they are not going to be happy. Is, is there anything that will make some of the... Listen, uh, on, uh, I think it was MSNBC last night, they interviewed a number of Sanders supporters after the, after the speeches, almost none of whom were actually moved by even Sanders' own plea to vote for Clinton. Now, I don't know if you know, MSNBC just picked out a few uh, uh, you know, supporters who were feeling that way, if the bulk of Sanders supporters, delegates out there, feel differently. But what will it take? I mean... I, I, you know, I don't know, other than talking about uh, Sa- uh, uh, Sanders in their speeches, there's been a lot of concessions in the platform. Is it possible that these people, uh, and, I, and I don't mean uh, in a negative way at all, but these delegates, these supporters of Sanders, will simply never come around to Hillary Clinton after all of this time? Some won't. There will be some people who uh, choose not to support the ticket. Are- and... And I want to give you a little historical perspective, Brad. Please. At the 1980 Democratic National Convention, Pat Lucy, one of the key people in the Wisconsin delegation, former governor of Wisconsin, former ambassador to Mexico, walked off the floor when Jimmy Carter was Mm renominated and agreed within a very short amount of time to become the vice presidential running mate of John Anderson. Right. At the over on the on the. Republican side that same year, the the Reagan people were so terrified of a moderate revolt. Remember, John Anderson, one of their uh, rivals in the primaries, had actually quit mm-hmm. and was now running as an independent. Right. They were so frightened by that that they were talking about giving the vice presidency to former President Gerald Ford and ceding control mm. over vast amounts of, of governing to Gerald Ford, saying, you know, we're going to run as a kind of a joint ticket here. So you can have, and often do have, immense levels of tension, and sometimes a candidate loses, as Carter did. Sometimes a candidate wins, as Reagan did. My bottom line here is it's not about what you hear at the convention necessarily. It is about what comes after, how it extends, how it moves forward. Well, right, and it's not all that uh, comforting to hear you uh, offer the example of uh, of uh, the 1980 race when, as you know, Jimmy Carter did go on to lose. And, I, you know, I'm staring down this uh, the, the barrel of this gun saying Donald Trump tied with or beating Hillary Clinton in both national polls and in a number of swing state polls. Now, I know that that's going to, uh, you know, change after, a, a theoretically, a Democratic convention bounce. But the idea that Donald Trump is tied, never mind beating, let's just say that he's even tied. To me, that is absolutely stunning, knowing what we know about Donald Trump. Does that concern you as a, as, as a progressive uh, John Nichols that I think uh, nobody would contest your credentials in that regard? Are, are you concerned that uh, uh, the, the result of all of this could end up being a Donald Trump presidency? Of course I am. Yes. I wrote a cover story for The Nation back in maybe 
March, mm-hmm. in which I interviewed people in Ohio and Michigan and Pennsylvania, savvy people, Democrats, labor folks, and they said to, to a one, look, you've got to worry about Donald Trump. He is talking to people who have been had the hell beaten out of them by globalization, deindustrialization, now automation. Every amation seems to be going against them. And, you know, it is not shocking at all that, you know, there are people feeling so, you know, pressured mm-hmm. that they might consider an option that, for any, by any reasonable measure, is just madness, right? And, you know, we must accept that. We must accept the reality of politics. If we don't, we end up with a surprise like Reagan in 80, right? Right. And so we, we tell ourselves something couldn't happen, and then it goes and happens. Well, and that's and, what, do, do, de- yeah. do Democrats get that? Never mind the progressives, never mind the Sanders supporters. Do you sense, talking to folks at that convention, that they understand Donald Trump as an actual threat that he could actually win? Because when I talk to Democrats, my sense is they, they still think it's impossible that Donald Trump could never actually win this November. Well, I can tell you that um, the Sanders people get it. They are well aware of that threat. And they talk about it a great deal. They basically say, look, you know, if this thing, if you're going to be real here, you have got to recognize that danger and you got to respond to it. That means you have to write a platform that, that gets it. You have to um, basically be realistic about um, the messaging that you put out. They, they, they're quite blunt about it. I think there are Clinton people who get it as well. And I mean... I've talked to folks to get it. I think the Reverend Jesse Jackson gets it. I was with him today. We had a long discussion about it. So there are folks that understand this. However, there is always a, uh, there's a danger on the part of both parties. You know, our Republican friends, they always underestimated Barack Obama. They had so little liking for him, frankly, in many cases, so little respect for him, that they just couldn't imagine that he could get elected president. Of course, he did. Mm-hmm. Democrats can fall into that same trap. They can. I think they did do it with Reagan. Yeah. Uh, I think they've done it in other cases. I think they did it with George W. Bush. Although George W. Bush has uh, had some electoral shenanigans that helped him as well. But at some fundamental level, um, anybody who's uh, feeling comfortable when you're looking at polls from battleground states that show three, four differences or even less um they're not taking politics seriously let you, me you don't get comfortable when you got narrow margins in battleground states yeah and 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 i'm uh, concerned that there is a lot uh more comfort out there for a lot more folks than is uh than is actually being made clear right now uh l- let right. me let me let me hit another a uh, couple of uh, points there because i know you're at the uh, at the convention you're trying to do a lot at once as are we here but uh you wrote at the nation uh over the weekend i think that debbie wasserman schultz had to go uh why is that did she wait too long and and what do you think of the choice of donna brazil right now as her interim replacement yeah um look baseline message here is debbie wasserman schultz did have to go there was simply no question she had lost the confidence of the party she had not just lost the confidence of sanders backers which is well publicized she had also lost the confidence of a tremendous number of clinton backers Mm -hmm. who literally felt she wasn't doing a good job and um so it, there was no question she had to go. Uh, what's interesting is her replacement by Donna Brazil 
has been extremely well accepted by a lot of people um, who are obviously in the Clinton camp, a lot of them like her. But also, I'm surprised, you know, and intrigued by how many Sanders people, uh, you know, experienced Sanders people, uh, who frankly are, are quite comfortable with her because even though um, she was part of the DNC and, and, you know, I don't think anybody imagined that she was a Sanders backer, she really did during the primary campaign uh, make a genuine effort to keep in communication mm-hmm. with the Sanders people. I, I literally saw it at, you know, events around the country where, you know, there'd be a hotel lobby or hotel bar after a long night. And because she was there doing the CNN gig, yeah. um, she would come into the bar. She would sit down with the Sanders people. She'd buy everybody a drink. And, you know, it was genuine, I, I think. I mean, I, I can't get inside people's souls, and I'm not certainly here to tell you she's the greatest thing or the worst thing or whatever. But what I am saying is um, my sense is that it, it can work probably with her as the interim chair. She'll be interim chair probably from Friday through uh, the Democratic or through the presidential election. Right. And I, I, I don't want to read too much into it, but I would suggest that, um, you know, this flexibility with Sanders backers giving speeches and, frankly, going off pretty well, going over pretty well, um, letting them have some time, letting them have some space to speak. I, I wonder if maybe that is a little bit of, of her influence already in play, because I can tell you right now, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is not running this convention, mm. so somebody else is. And I've been uh, actually in touch with Donna Brazile a couple of times since she's now been named uh, the interim chair, and yeah, I can tell you, at least uh, what she tells me, she really is trying to reach out to bring in more Bernie Sanders uh, uh, people into the party, into the ranks of the DNC. Uh, John Nichols, will we see more candidates like Bernie Sanders uh, at the local, state, and congressional level? He's been calling for that. That's what we saw from the Tea Party. That's how they took over the Republican Party. Uh, do you think we will see that? Is there evidence of that, that uh, some of these Sanders supporters are actually getting ready to run and take over the party from the bottom up the way it really needs to be done? Answer yes. <laughs> Good. Um, no, no doubt about it. In fact, I was moderating uh, some events this morning in at the uh, LGBTQ community center here in uh, uh-huh. Philadelphia, Williams Way, and um, we had Reverend Jesse Jackson there. We had other folks, and in the crowd, I said at one point, these are a lot of. There were frankly a lot of Sanders folks had come to this event. Packed mm-hmm. crowd, every seat filled, and. Um, I said, well, how many of you have run for office? And, like, a stunning number of hands went up. I said, how many of you are running for office right now? And it was amazing. We actually went around, you know, we had hundreds of people there, and I had several of them, you know, describe what they're doing. And, you know, they're in the thick of it. Um, we, again, we don't have a media in this country that how, covers how, much politics. How many hands went uh, up? Wait, John, how, did, was there a lot of hands that went up? You didn't finish that sentence. Yeah. You, okay, there were oh, a lot I'm of sorry. people yeah, running. Yeah, yeah, dozens of hands. Dozens of hands uh-huh. went up, and including several people who were congressional candidates, and I, I know the races pretty well. Yeah. They were credible contenders in serious races. And so, I mean, this is something real. We should recognize that um, it takes time. You know, you have filing deadlines, you have a process. Uh, Some of this won't be evident right away. But I have no doubt that um, 
Sandersism or Sandersista or whatever term. I don't even know what term people want to use. Mm-hmm. But this thing, this phenomenon, uh, it's real. It's going to continue to play. And it will include not just Sanders backers, but also people who are frankly sympathetic to the idea. Um, remember, the first Senate candidate that uh, Bernie Sanders endorsed was Russ Feingold. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I think I can t- say to you with some confidence that you will see Bernie Sanders campaigning in Wisconsin for Russ Feingold. And, um, and that has meaning. It, it, no doubt there are going to be some states that are going to be real kind of centers of gravity, centers of, of action. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can, you can almost name them, Brad. Um, Wisconsin, Oregon, New Hampshire, California, without a doubt, certainly some regions of California. Um, and I, I think we're looking at a situation not that unlike 1968, where the Kennedy and McCarthy people went back to their states, formed what was called the New Democratic Coalition, mm-hmm. and they were nominees for governor and senator by 1970, two years later. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm... I, I have great confidence that that will happen. In fact, I think that is much more likely to happen, although I'm not you know, suggesting that there isn't going to be a Sanders organization and that it isn't going to be real. I think it will. I think there's going to be something going on there. But at the end of the day, I think the real play out of the Sanders candidacy will be lots of people running for office in places all over this country. And... You won't know all their names, Brad, and neither will I, because some of them are going to be running for drainage commissioner. Good. But that's how the Christian coalition yep. got its power, because they figured out there was a religious right way to be a drainage commissioner. Right. And I want to tell you something. This is a little, little trick for you. There is absolutely a democratic socialist way to be a drainage commissioner. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. And I hope you're right about that, John. Uh, since you brought up, I, I, I'm going to let you go. I want to ask one more question here. Uh, since you brought up Wisconsin, your home state, where you're the uh, associate editor of the Capital Times, uh, it, 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 uh, never mind uh, Russ Feingold for now. It'd be great to see that progressive senator re- uh, return to the Senate. But what about Wisconsin as a swing state? We hear this every presidential year. Oh, Wisconsin is a swing state. Uh, is there a concern that Republicans could actually win the state of Wisconsin in the presidential race this year? You know, there's always a little bit of a concern because it is a divided state. It's always been, you know, roughly uh, 40, 40, 20, 40 percent uh, quite strongly progressive, 40 percent quite strongly conservative, about 20 percent in a, in a swing zone. Um, so, yeah, it's possible, but I'm going to bring a little bit of psychology in here, which is what we should never do in politics, but I will anyway. <laughs> Good. And tell you that Wisconsinites like nice people. <laughs> what you're, uh, and you're not saying Donald Trump isn't nice, are you? I am. Are you saying... Bluntly. Are you saying... I am bluntly saying exactly that. And are you and saying, saying Hillary Clinton is... Problem. And are you saying Hillary Clinton is nice? Um, I think that she's got a better chance of projecting nice. <laughs> and I think that her running mate... Tim Kaine, actually, ah. although I disagree with him on a number of issues, is pretty nice. And uh, the bottom line is, of course, this is a struggle. I don't deny that. None of us should. But, um, you know, I think that Trump Trump burns a little too brightly uh, for Wisconsin. I could be wrong. Yeah. And, uh, and I sure wouldn't uh, go to sleep comfortably, but... 
I would suggest to you the states that I look at as vulnerable are uh, Michigan, Ohio, maybe Pennsylvania, mm. North Carolina. I think those are states where trade, the TPP, many of the things Trump will be emphasizing, they have real potential to get traction. Uh, not to say that that isn't Wisconsin, too, but my gut instinct is that it's, it's more likely, you know, a state that isn't usually in play, Michigan, I think is more likely to be in play than uh, Wisconsin. No, now, yeah. you'll be proven wrong in a couple weeks. Who knows? Yeah, well, we'll see. I hope you, uh, I hope you are proven wrong. Uh, every year, John Nichols, uh, you and the nation create a, uh, a most valuable progressive list. And though I should uh, note here, you've never offered me one of those, which I think is just a, a Shonda, as it's my time. people would say. It's, it's time. Uh, uh, well, uh, I'm granting you one because you've never received one yourself. So, uh, John Nichols, <laughs> one of our nation's most valuable progressives, thank you for uh, what you're doing. Thanks for keeping up the uh, clear progressive fight for the for so many years and uh, I hope you don't mind if we check in with you as this uh, as this fine mess moves forward my friend <laughs> I like that I, I you say fine that's very polite I think it's a hot mess well uh, well but you know Wisconsin likes nice people so it's a fine mess we do <laughs> and uh, John Nichols is doing a fine job of covering it check out his work of course at the nation and on the Twitters at Nichols uprising thank you John stay safe out there I'll do my best, brother. Take care. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. When I think about the kind of president that I want for my girls and all our children. I want someone with the proven strength to persevere. Someone who knows this job and takes it seriously. Someone who understands that the issues a president faces are not black and white and cannot be boiled down to 140 characters. Because when, when you have the nuclear codes at your fingertips and the military in your command, you can't make snap decisions. You, you can't have a thin skin or a tendency to lash out. You need to be steady and measured and well-informed. And when a crisis hits, we don't turn against each other. No, we, we listen to each other. We lean on each other because we are always stronger together. tonight because I know that that is the kind of president that Hillary Clinton will be and that's why in this election I'm with her lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend I'll help you carry on you're crying again aren't you Dennis it was a great speech. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, as we go to air today, the uh, Democrats are holding their roll call vote for uh, 
for Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders at the uh, convention in Philadelphia. Everyone seems to be in very good spirits, not hearing a lot of protests. And in fact, the people that I've been uh, talking to at the convention have been telling me that uh, the protest fever at least at the convention, at least for now, appears to be dying down a little bit with Bernie Sanders asking his supporters yesterday via text message to not protest. We still saw that during a number of the uh, speeches uh, on Monday night. Uh, and I actually I think uh, some of the protests during Elizabeth Warren's speech actually seemed to rattle her a bit. What did you think, uh, Des, uh, watching uh Watching Elizabeth Warren on uh, on Monday night. Yeah, I would agree with that. It, uh, it the extended protest, the extended booze, the mm-hmm. the calling out. You know, they said, "Shame on you!" And some woman did something about you. Sold your porridge, and it was a biblical <laughs> reference. It seemed like it rattled her a little bit, and yeah. I w- I'm sorry to see that because I can understand that that is probably a really surprising thing if you're not accustomed to it, how to deal with that. And I don't think she's been accustomed to having people scream at her like that in in anger. Uh, Cory Booker was also uh, somewhat uh, uh, heckled at various points with the chance of Warhawk, Black Lives Matter, and so forth. That, of course, is New Jersey's freshman senator and reportedly on Clinton's final uh, uh, vice presidential shortlist a few days ago, as well as many lists of uh, potential future presidential nominees, I suspect. He gave a very lengthy and well-received stem winder, really a pep speech, uh, really. And as I said, it was occasionally interrupted by a few of those chants, but uh, but it went over quite well in the hall. It was one of the sharpest contrasts, I thought, to last week's uh, Republican speeches. Uh, and uh, maybe we'll have time for that in a moment. I do want to get to this Michelle Obama uh, clip and a couple of clips from Bernie Sanders himself. You heard Michelle Obama, of course, at the uh, at the top of this segment. Uh, she went on to uh, talk, and this was <laughs> kind of uh, moving and uh, surprisingly controversial. Here's Michelle Obama talking about Hillary Clinton and about her life Uh, her life in the White House with her two daughters over the past eight years. Leaders like Hillary Clinton, who has the guts and the grace to keep coming back and putting those cracks in that highest and hardest glass ceiling until she finally breaks through, lifting all of us along with her. That is the story of this country, the story that has brought me to this stage tonight the story of generations of people who felt the lash of bondage, the shame of servitude, the sting of segregation, but who kept on striving and hoping and doing what needed to be done so that today I wake up every morning in a house that was built by slaves. intelligent black young women playing with their dogs on the White House lawn. And and because of Hillary Clinton, my daughters and all our sons and daughters now take for granted that a woman can be president of the United States. anyone ever tell you that this country isn't great, that somehow 
We need to make it great again. Because this right now is the greatest country on earth. That was Michelle Obama Monday night at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia at the uh, National Democratic National Convention, uh, breaking up herself a little bit, it seemed like, uh, yeah. uh, during that speech. She, too, was moved. She was moved by herself, perhaps. Uh, the uh, Democrats outdrew, I mentioned at, uh, at the top of the show, that it seemed like there was more... Uh, folks in this in the arena for the Democrats on their first night than there was for the Republicans on their last, which is amazing. Well, the the TV numbers actually bear that out. The DNC averaged 26 million viewers on their first night on Monday. The RNC averaged 23 million viewers, which is kind of surprising because during the, uh, you know, during the primary cycle, during the debates, we saw Republicans consistently outdrawing Rep- uh, Democrats during their debates, uh, not so, at least for the first night of the convention. Uh, CNN's uh, Brian Stelter goes on to say that uh, the Democratic proceedings were higher rated overall than their first night back on 2012, uh, when the combined broadcast and cable coverage was just 22 million viewers. So they uh, out uh, outdrew the first night of the 2012 Democratic uh, content, uh, Democratic convention by four million viewers. That doesn't count live streaming and online video, uh, et cetera, which I suspect is much higher now in 2016 than it was back in 2012. Uh, Facebook also mirrored the uh, TV ratings race, says Stelter. Facebook said the first 24 hours of the DNC resulted in uh, almost 40 million likes, posts, comments, and shares related to the convention and the candidates. Um, Whereas, let's see, the first 24 hours of the GOP race had just 28 million such interactions uh, from uh, many fewer people. Uh, Fox News, by the way, uh, Fox News, uh, as usual, uh, was the ratings leader on Tuesday. Uh, After the full ratings came in from the Republican convention, Fox said that it was the channel's highest rated week in total day uh, in total days since August 2005 with Hurricane Katrina coverage. Really? Yeah. I don't know if that's an apt comparison. I don't know if that's a comparison that Fox News wants to make. But they made it, not me. Uh, all right, let me uh, let me get to uh, more. I want to play some of the uh, slightly uh, more extended clips of Bernie Sanders than you might have already seen if you did not watch the actual uh, 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 speech on Monday night. Uh, we'll play a few of the uh, the key clips. Here's uh, at the beginning of the uh, of Bernie Sanders' remarks after a three minute standing ovation. At uh, in the arena and a lot of weeping uh, Sanders supporters out there in the crowd. Here's how Bernie Sanders kicked things off on Monday night. I understand that many people here in this convention hall and around the country are disappointed about the final results of the nominating process. I think it's fair to say that no one is more disappointed than I am. But to all of our supporters here and around the country, I hope you take enormous pride in the historical accomplishments we have achieved. 
Together, my friends, we have begun a political revolution to transform America, and that revolution, our revolution, continues. Election days come and go, but the struggle of the people to create a government which represents all of us and not just the 1%. A government based on the principles of economic, social, racial, and environmental justice, that struggle continues. And I look forward to being part of that struggle with you. Let me be as clear as I can be. This election is not about and has never been about Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or any of the other candidates who sought the presidency. This election is not about political gossip. It's not about polls. It's not about campaign strategy. It's not about fundraising. It is not about all the things that the media spends so much time discussing. This election is about and must be about the needs of the American people and the kind of future we create for our children and our grandchildren. Boy, you know, some days I uh, love democracy this year. Some days I hate it. Uh, Listening to Bernie Sanders is one of those days when, uh, frankly, I really love it. And I know that Sanders supporters are having a hard time uh, dealing. Some Sanders supporters having a hard time uh, dealing with this. But this is how it works. This really is how it works. Bernie Sanders did go on to uh, and, and including, by the way, People being upset, people being angry, people not being uh, willing to listen to their candidate, Bernie Sanders, uh, exhorting them to vote for Hillary. Yeah, uh, that's how it goes. You know, voters don't just move over because your candidate told you so. Hillary Clinton is going to have to make the case to the American people, to the Bernie Sanders voters. She's going to have to. She and the Democrats overall, if they have any hope of taking back the uh uh, both the Senate and the House make the case as to why Americans should vote for them. Bernie Sanders, in any any event, uh, went on to say that uh, Hillary Clinton, he gave, a, a, once again, a full-throated endorsement for the uh, presumptive nominee, and she won't be presumptive much longer as the roll call vote is going on as we uh, as we are on air here today. Uh, he made a full-throated endorsement once again for Hillary Clinton. This election is about which candidate understands the real problems facing this country and has offered real solutions. Not just bombast, not just fear-mongering, not just name-calling and divisiveness. We need leadership in this country which will improve the lives of working families, the children, the elderly, the sick, and the poor. We need leadership which brings our people together and makes us stronger. 
not leadership which insults Latinos and Mexicans, insults Muslims and women, African Americans and veterans, and seeks to divide us up. By these measures, any objective observer will conclude that based on her ideas and her leadership, Hillary Clinton must become the next president of the United States. Sanders went on to uh, describe the importance of a, uh, a, a, a Democratic president to the Supreme Court. Uh, a, a court that he feels needs to be prepared to overturn Citizens United, uh, end the movement towards oligarchy in this country, and defend a woman's right to choose, workers' rights, the rights of LGBT community, the needs of minorities and immigrants, and uh, the government's ability to protect the environment. And that's really one of the issues that, uh, Des, that you've been covering for years that is the most uncovered, I think, uh, during this entire process. Just how important the next administration will be, not just to the future of this country, but to this planet. Yeah, it's it's one of the major components of President Obama's legacy and his attempts to address climate change has been the Clean Power Plan, which is a landmark standards, the first ever for power plants to cut their carbon emissions. They are currently the biggest contributor to the United States mm -hmm. uh, carbon emissions uh, that we put out every year. And so this is hung up right now. It was the last thing that Scalia did, Justice Scalia did before he died. He put a stop, a hold, a stay on a kibosh, clean, a kibosh <laughs> if you will, on the clean power plan. So that is now being adjudicated and we should have some kind of news uh, by the fall, hopefully that it will be positive because if this doesn't go through, then we have some very serious, serious uh, issues ahead when we're trying I, to deal with climate change. It makes it much more difficult to deal with it if I, this doesn't work. I think uh, I think we've got some serious issues to well, deal yes. with anyway. And I think that his we uh, do anyway. But it was a big component to moving us forward. And I think that his uh, record uh, is a mixed one, to be frank. Obama. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, he has uh, moved certain. Uh, balls forward here, if you will, but uh, I think it's a mixed record. Um, but I can't even imagine, given what we heard from guys like Donald Trump and Mike Pence at the Republican convention, how they want to, you know, this is imaginary idea that they want to bring back coal and yeah. coal ain't coming back, at least not the way they see it. Um, uh, but, you know, they don't even recognize that global warming is actually happening. This in the middle of a July which is, uh, you know, January, February, March, April, May, June, every single month this year has been the hottest month in the history of the planet, at least the, in the history of record keeping. Uh, and it doesn't even come up or when it does come up, it comes up as if it's a hoax. Uh, anyway, uh, here was the close of Sanders uh, speech on Monday night in Philadelphia. Um, when he said that uh, underscored that we need a Democratic House, a Democratic House, uh, uh, Senate and a Hillary Clinton presidency, according to Bernie Sanders. It is no secret that Hillary Clinton and I disagree on a number of issues. That is what this campaign has been about. That is what democracy is about. But I'm happy to tell you that at the Democratic Platform Committee, 
there was a significant coming together between the two campaigns, and we produced by far the most progressive platform in the history of the Democratic Party. Among many, many other strong provisions, the Democratic Party now calls for breaking up the major financial institutions on Wall Street and the passage of a 21st century Glass-Steagall Act. It also calls for strong opposition to job-killing trade agreements like the TPP. We have got to make sure that TPP does not get to the floor of the Congress in the lame duck session. Our job now is to see that strong Democratic platform implemented by a Democratic-controlled Senate, by a Democratic House, and a Hillary Clinton presidency. I have known Hillary Clinton for 25 years. I remember her, as you do, as a great first lady who broke precedent in terms of the role that a first lady was supposed to play as she helped lead the fight for universal health care. I serve with her in the United States Senate and know her as a fierce advocate for the rights of children, for women, and for the disabled. Hillary Clinton will make an outstanding president, and I am proud to stand with her tonight. Thank you all very much. And the crowd went wild, and the Democratic leadership must have uh, uh, breathed a little bit. In, a big uh, sigh of a relief. A big sigh of relief there. That uh, he didn't pull a Ted Cruz. Uh, oh, yeah. No, he certainly didn't. And, and again, uh, compare, do you have this uh, real quick, just to uh, compare, just to remind us of the difference between what we're seeing this week versus what we're seeing last week. Uh, Samantha B uh, had put together this, this montage. She put music under it. In truth, she really didn't need to. Uh, but just to give you an idea, you've heard some of the uh, Democratic uh, convention there uh, c- compared to this clip from what we heard at the GOP. Death, destruction, terrorism, and weakness. The catastrophic attack. Terrorists who are killing us. They are determined to kill us. War and destruction. Every American should be terrified. An attack on all Americans. Extremist attack, homicide, murders, guns and bombs, chaos, stabbings, terrorism. That's kind of a contrast there. Yeah, kind of a contrast. That's what you heard. Uh, When it comes to cynicism, I mentioned Cory Booker. Let me see if I can play this uh, clip real real quick here. Uh, Cory Booker said that uh, now is not the time to give in to cynicism. And I always point out, you know, there's a difference between skepticism. You should be skeptical of Hillary Clinton, of the Democrats, and of everything else. But there is a difference between skepticism and cynicism. Here was uh, Cory Booker's remarks on that. 
fellow Americans, we cannot be seduced by cynicism about our politics because cynicism is a refuge for cowards. And this nation is and must always be the home of the brave. We are the United States of America. We will not falter or fall. We will not retreat or surrender our values. We will not surrender our ideas. We will not surrender the moral high ground. Here in Philadelphia, let us declare again that we will be a free people, free from fear and intimidation. Let us declare again that we are a nation of interdependence and that in America, love always trumps hate. Let us declare. Freshman Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey at the Democratic National Convention. Let's take a quick break here. We've got just a few minutes left. We'll come back with some uh, so, some non-convention news for a blessed moment because we got uh, days more ahead of us. Uh, don't go away. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Hot enough for you? Oh, yeah. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. During the break, I know I said uh, we'd take a break from convention coverage, but uh, during the break, the uh, corporate media is now reporting that uh, Hillary Clinton has been formally nominated as Democratic presidential candidate, a first for a woman in a major U.S. party as the roll call continues. Uh, of course, the... Uh, the uh, the superdelegates have yet to cast their vote, but by the math of the AP, the New York Times, NBC News, etc., it's official. Uh, according to them, Hillary Clinton will be the Democratic nominee for president of the United States, the first female to achieve that. We'll uh, certainly have more on that tomorrow on our uh, next thrilling broadcast. But before we get there, very quickly, a political group in Swing State, Ohio, I've been trying to get to this for a while, uh, <laughs> it has been using the game Pokemon Go for a purpose beyond catching cute Pikachu uh, creatures, according to the uh, uh, Associated Press. They are trying to catch registered voters, or at least they are trying to register voters. Next Gen Climate Ohio, Desi, these are your peeps. A group drawing attention to climate change says the rollout is just one of the creative ways that it's trying to engage millennial voters. Apparently what they're doing, according to State Director Joanne Pickrell, is dropping rare Pokemon Go lures which draw the cartoon monsters hunted by Pokemon Go players at game locations in parks and on campuses in Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, and Toledo. Then its representatives will be on site at those locations when the Pokemon players show up 
to talk to them about the importance of voting and how to get registered. Catch them all. There you go. <laughs> Catch all those millenniums. Exactly. Millennials, help them vote. They are planning to do that in uh, at the University of Toledo, at parks in Cleveland and Columbus and at Mirror Lake uh, on the Ohio State University campus. Great idea. Love it. Brilliant idea. Indeed. Uh, thank you very much. Speaking of brilliant, Desi Doyne, thank you for your brilliant uh, cutting and coverage of the uh, of the uh, Democratic Convention. This has not been easy. It's or, not over yet or either. Or fun. And it's <laughs> not over. I think Bill Clinton uh, speaks tonight. That'll be fun. Uh, until our next uh, thrilling episode, my thanks to our, our producer, Desi Doyen. To John Nichols of The Nation for joining us today as our guest and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is, as ever, greatly appreciated. You can download our programs anytime and leave comments on them at bradblog.com. You can also grab them at iTunes and a whole bunch of other places. You can uh, send oh, us... Oh, and be yeah? sure to leave a nice review for us so that other people can find us. At iTunes. At iTunes. Yeah. You don't have to say the same thing at Bradblog.com. You know, it doesn't have to be a nice review at all. Say whatever you like. You can also say whatever you like via email. Bradcast at Bradblog.com is where you can reach me there. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Everybody.